Welcome to Our Savior and Friend, the Book of Luke, by John M. Fowler, edited for audio by the Ambassador Group. Who is Jesus Christ? Who is Jesus Christ? He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said, The Christ of God. Luke chapter 9, verse 20. New King James Version. Who is Jesus Christ? The question is not a philosophical or sociological gimmick. It gets to the heart of who humans are, and even more important, what eternity will hold for them. People can admire the works of Jesus, honor his words, extol his patience, advocate his nonviolence, acclaim his decisiveness, praise his selflessness and stand speechless at the cruel end of his life. Many may even be ready to accept Jesus as a good man who tried to set things right, to infuse fairness where there was injustice, to offer healing where there was sickness, and to bring comfort where there was only misery. Yes, Jesus could well earn the name of the best teacher, a revolutionary, a leader par excellence, and a psychologist who can probe into the depths of one's soul. He was all these and and so much more. None of these things, however, comes near to answering the all-important question that Jesus himself raised. Who do you say that I am? Luke chapter 9, verse 20, New King James Version. It is a question that demands an answer. And on that answer, the destiny of humanity hinges. Reactions to Jesus Listen to the Gospels. Listen to the New Testament. All through these books, incredible claims are made about not only what Jesus did, but even more important, about who Jesus was. Of course, what Jesus did powerfully attested to who he was. These claims that he is God, that he is our Redeemer, that he alone is the way to eternal life. These claims demand our attention because they are full of implications that have eternal consequences for every human being. Let's listen to what Luke 4, verses 16 through 30 says. And he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up for to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering the sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book 
and gave it again to the minister, and sat down. And the eyes of all them that were in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began to say unto them, This day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. And all bare him witness, and wondered at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? And he said unto them, Ye will surely say unto me this proverb, Physician, heal thyself. Whatsoever we have heard done in Capernaum, do also here in thy country. And he said, Verily I say unto you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you of a truth, many widows were in Israel in the day of Elias, when the heaven was shut up three years and six months, when great famine was throughout all the land. But unto none of them was Elias sent, save unto Sarepta, a city of Sidon, unto a woman that was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisas the prophet, and none of them was cleansed, saving Naaman the Syrian. And all they in the synagogue, when they had heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city, and led him unto the brow of the hill whereon the city was built, that they might cast him down headlong. But he, passing through the midst of them, went his way. Question. What caused the people to react as they did? Let's also consider John chapter 3, verse 19, which says, And this is the condemnation, that light is come into the world, and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. His hometown audience was at first thrilled to see Jesus, who, after performing many miracles and wonders, returned to Nazareth, and they marveled at the gracious words he spoke. But their reaction to his rebuke showed what spirit truly animated them. Luke chapter 7, verses 17 through 22, tells us that John the Baptist, after hearing a rumor, became very concerned about Jesus as the Messiah. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. And the disciples of John showed him all of these things. And John, calling unto him two of his disciples, sent them to Jesus, saying, Art thou he that should come? Or look we for another? When these men were come unto him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us unto thee, saying, Art thou he that should come? Or look we for another? And in that same hour he cured many of their infirmities and plagues and of evil spirits, and unto many that were blind he gave sight. Then Jesus answering said unto them, Go your way, and tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and to the poor the gospel is preached. What was John's question about Jesus? And why would he have asked it? Even John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, and the one who announced Jesus as the Lamb of God, had doubts creeping into the depths of his soul. He wanted to know, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Luke chapter 7, verse 19, New King James Version. Notice, too, that Jesus does not answer John's question directly. Instead, he points to acts that cry out in witness. 
the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. One could argue that Jesus didn't need to answer John's question directly. His deeds and actions gave ample testimony of who he was. In a sense, the answer that Jesus gave might have caused John even a little more consternation. After all, if Jesus has the power to do all these incredible things, why am I languishing here in jail? Who hasn't, amidst their personal tragedies, wondered something similar? If God has all this power, why is this happening to me? Why is the cross and all it represents and promises our only answer? Son of Man and Son of God are two names used in the Gospels to describe who Jesus is. The first indicates God incarnate. The second points to his divinity as the second person of the Godhead. Together, the two phrases invite us to ponder the miracle of Jesus Christ, God who is both divine and human. It's a hard concept to grasp. But that difficulty does not in any way take away from this amazing truth and the great hope that it offers us. Let's consider four verses in Luke. Luke chapter 1, verses 31, 32, and 35. Also, chapter 2, verse 11. What do these verses tell us about who Jesus really is? And behold, thou shalt conceive in thy womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He shall be great, and shall be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God shall give unto him the throne of his father David. Verse 35, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the Highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. Luke chapter 2, verse 11 says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. In Luke chapter 1, verses 31 and 32, the angel links the name Jesus with the Son of the Highest, to whom the Lord God will give the throne of David. New King James Version. Jesus is the Son of God. He is also the Christ, the Messiah, who shall restore David's throne, not as an earthly deliverer, but in the eschatological sense that he will ultimately defeat Satan's attempt to usurp the throne of God himself. To the shepherds, the angel announced that the babe in the manger is the Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Luke chapter 2, verse 11, New King James Version. At the same time, the title, Son of God, not only affirms Christ's position in the Godhead, but also reveals the close and intimate relationship that Jesus had with God the Father while Jesus was on earth. Yet, the relationship between the Father and the Son is not the same as the relationship that we have with God. While our relationship 
is a result of the work of Christ, both as Creator and Redeemer. His relationship to the Father as the Son is as one of three equal, eternal partners. Through His divinity, Jesus maintained the closest possible ties to the Father. Jesus says, My Father, which is in heaven, as reminding His disciples that while by His humanity He is linked with them, a sharer in their trials, and sympathizing with them in their sufferings, by His divinity He is connected with the throne of the infinite. The reference for those words is Ellen G. White's book, The Desire of Ages, page 442. What does it mean to us that Jesus was, in the fullest sense, God? Though this truth is filled with many implications, one of the most amazing is that, though God, Jesus condescended to not only take upon himself our humanity, but to offer himself as a sacrifice in that humanity for us. We are talking about God here. Amazing! What wonderful hope this truth has for us because of what it tells us about what God is really like. Although Jesus was fully conscious that he was both the Son of Man and the Son of God, Luke chapter 22, verses 67 through 70, tells us how Jesus responded to disbelieving, confrontational listeners. Art thou the Christ? Tell us. And he said unto them, If I tell you, ye will not believe. And I also ask you, ye will not answer me, nor let me go. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then said they all, Art thou then the Son of God? And he said unto them, Ye say that I am. Son of Man was our Savior's favorite way of self-designation. No one else ever addressed him by that title. The only other instance that the Son of Man appears is... In Stephen's last words, while being stoned to death, found in Acts chapter 7, verse 56, when he says, Behold, I see the heavens opened, and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 13, John shares what he saw. And in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. And in Revelation chapter 14, verse 14, John says, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud, and upon the cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man, having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. 
The term Son of Man appears more than 80 times in the Gospels, and 25 in Luke. Luke's usage shows the author's deep interest in the humanity of Jesus as the universal man who is sent by God to proclaim the good news of salvation. The humanity of the Son of God is everything to us. It is the golden chain that binds our souls to Christ and through Christ to God. This is to be our study. Christ was a real man. He gave proof of his humility in becoming a man. Yet he was God in the flesh. The author is Ellen G. White. Her book is entitled Selected Messages, Book 1. The statement is found on page 244. The use of Son of Man in Luke provides various insights into the nature, mission, and destiny of the incarnate Jesus. First, the title identifies him as a human. Luke chapter 7, verse 34 with no worldly address or security. Luke chapter 9, verse 58. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Second, Luke uses the title to assert Christ's divine nature and status, for the Son of Man is also the Lord of the Sabbath. Luke chapter 6, verse 5. New King James Version. Just prior to healing a paralyzed man, Jesus said these words in Luke chapter 5, verse 24. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins, he said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, take up thy couch, and go into thine house. Therefore he is also the Creator, with the power to forgive sins. Let's listen to three scripture texts. They will be the basis for our third Son of Man insight by Luke of the incarnate Jesus. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ according as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestinated us into the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Luke chapter 9, verse 56 says, For the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. So, third, to accomplish this redemptive mission ordained by the Godhead before the foundations of the world, in Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 5, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Luke 9, verse 56, and Luke chapter 19, verse 10. But the redemption itself cannot be completed until the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected and be killed and be raised the third day. Luke chapter 9, verse 22, New King James Version. This self-awareness of the Son of Man about the path he had to trod 
and the price he had to pay for the redemption of humankind from sin reveals not only the divine origin of the plan of redemption, but also Christ's submission in his humanity to that plan. Fourth, note how complete a picture of the suffering Messiah Luke portrays in the following passages. His foreknowledge of the cross, Luke chapter 18, verses 31 through 33. Then he took unto him the twelve, and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully treated, and spit on, and they shall scourge him, and put him to death, and on the third day he shall rise again. His Betrayal, Luke chapter 9, verse 44. Let these sayings sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man shall be delivered into the hands of men. His death as a fulfillment of prophecy. Luke chapter 22, verse 22. And truly, the Son of Man goeth as it was determined, but woe unto the man by whom he is betrayed. His crucifixion and resurrection. Luke chapter 24, verse 7. We will compare that verse with Luke chapter 11, verse 30. The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Now, let's compare that verse with Luke chapter 11, verse 30. For as Jonas was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall also the Son of Man be to this generation. And one more aspect of the suffering Messiah his role as the mediator before the Father. Luke chapter 12, verse 8. Also I say unto you, Whosoever shall confess me before men, him shall the Son of Man also confess before the angels of God. Fifth, Luke sees the Son of Man in last day terms as the one who returns to earth to reward his saints and to wrap up the great controversy. Let's consider five references. Luke chapter 9, verse 26. For whoever shall be ashamed of me and my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed, and when he shall come in his glory, and in his Father's, and of the holy angels. Luke chapter 12, verse 4. And I say unto you, my friends, be not afraid of them that kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do. Luke chapter 17, verses 24, 26, and 30. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than the fowls? Verse 26, If ye then be not able to do that thing which is at least, why take ye thought for the rest? Verse 30, For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. Luke chapter 21, verse 36. Watch ye therefore, and pray always, that ye may be accounted worthy to escape these things that shall come to pass, and to stand before the Son of Man. And Luke chapter 22, verse 69. Hereafter shall the Son of Man sit on the right hand of the power of God. In summary, the title Son of Man incorporates the multifaceted aspect not only of who Christ was, but of what he came to do and what he has 
and will accomplish for us in the plan of salvation. of God. And it came to pass, as he was alone praying, his disciples were with him, and he asked them, saying, Whom say the people that I am? They answered and said, John the Baptist, but some say Elias, and others say that one of the old prophets is risen again. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? Peter answering said, The Christ of God. And he straightly charged them and commanded them to tell no man that thing, saying, The Son of Man must suffer many things, and be rejected of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be slain and be raised the third day. And he said to them all, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. But whosoever will lose his life for my sake, the same shall save it. For what is a man advantaged if he gain the whole world and lose himself or be cast away? For whosoever shall be ashamed of me and of my words, of him shall the Son of Man be ashamed, when he shall come in his own glory and in his Father's and of the holy angels." But I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 27. Why would Jesus have asked the disciples a question whose answer he already knew? What lesson was he seeking to teach them, not only about himself, but about what it means to follow him? Who do you say that I am? Luke chapter 9, verse 20. The question that Jesus asked 2,000 years ago still haunts history. People have given many different answers. They say that Jesus was a great teacher, a profound ethicist, an embodiment of truth, an edifice of self-sacrifice, a fearless prophet, a social reformer, a great model of everything a human being should be but no answer short of the confession that the original question drew from the lips of Peter will do. Jesus reveals himself in five ways. His authority over nature. Now it came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples, and he said unto them, Let us go over unto the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep, and there came down a storm of wind on the lake, and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we perish. Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. And he said unto them, Where is your faith? And they, being afraid, sang one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and water, and they obey him. Luke chapter 8, 
verses 22 through 25. His power over demons. And they arrived at the country of the Gadarenes, which is over against Galilee. And when he had went forth to land, there met him out of the city a certain man, which had devils a long time, and wear no clothes, neither abode in any house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him, and with a loud voice said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou Son of God, most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. For he commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For oftentimes it caught him, and he was kept bound with chains and in fetters, and he brake the bands, and was driven of the devil into the wilderness. And Jesus asked him, saying, What is thy name? And he said, Legion, because many devils were entered into him. And they besought him that he would not command them to go out into the deep. And there was there a herd of many swine feeding on the mountain. And they besought him that he would suffer them to enter into them. And he suffered them. Then went the devils out of the man and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the lake. And there were choked. When they that fed them saw what was done, they fled and went and told it to the city and in the country. Then they went out to see what was done and came to Jesus and found the man out of whom the devils were departed, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 35. His might over diseases. Luke tells details about two occasions. And it came to pass, when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, who seeing Jesus, fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And he put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. And he charged him to tell no man, but go and show thyself to the priest, and offer for thy cleansing, according as Moses commanded, for a testimony unto them. But so much the more went there a fame abroad of him, and great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. Luke chapter 5, verses 12 through 15. And a woman having an issue of blood twelve years, which had spent all her living among physicians, neither could be healed of any, came behind and touched the border of his garment, and immediately her issue of the blood stanched. And Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied, Peter and they that were with him said, Master, the multitude throng thee and press thee, and sayest thou, Who touched me? And Jesus said, Somebody hath touched me, for I perceive that virtue is gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she was not hid, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared unto him before all the people for what cause she had touched him, and how she was healed immediately. And he said unto her, Daughter, be of good comfort. Thy faith has made thee well. Go in peace. Luke chapter 8, verses 43 through 48. His ability to feed the five thousand out of almost nothing. But he said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they said, We have no more but five loaves and two fishes, except that we should go and buy meat for all this people. For there were about them five thousand men. 
and he said to his disciples, Make them sit down by fifties in a company. And they did so, and made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them, and brake, and gave the disciples to set before the multitude. And they did eat, and were all filled. And there was taken up of fragments that remained to them, twelve baskets. Luke chapter 9, verses 13 through 17. His power over death itself. And when he had come into the house, he suffered no man to go in, save Peter and James and John and the father and the mother of the maiden. And all wept and bewailed her. But he said, Weep not, for she is not dead, but sleepeth. And they laughed him to scorn, knowing that she was dead. And he put them all out, and took her by the hand, and called, saying, Maid, arise. And her spirit came again, and she rose straight away, and he commanded to give her meat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them that they should tell no man what was done. Luke chapter 8, verses 51 through 56. Jesus confronts his disciples with really two questions. First, what others thought of him, and next, what the disciples themselves thought. He didn't ask in order to learn something that he didn't already know. Rather, he asked in order to help them understand that who he was would, in fact, demand from them a commitment that would cost everything. William Barclay, in his commentary on the Gospel of Matthew, said, Our knowledge of Jesus must never be at second hand. We might know every verdict ever passed on Jesus. We might know every Christology that human minds have ever thought out. We might be able to give a competent summary of the teaching about Jesus of every great thinker and theologian and still not be Christians. Christianity never consists in knowing about Jesus. It always consists in knowing Jesus. Jesus Christ demands a personal verdict. He did not only ask Peter, he asks every one of us, you, what do you think of me? Here is the reference for those words. The author, William Barclay, in his book, The Gospel of Matthew, Volume 2, page 161, published by Theological Publications in India in 2009. Our response to the question Jesus asked cannot be anything short of Peter's confession. Jesus is the Christ of God, in Luke chapter 9, verse 20, New King James Version. Christ means the Anointed One, the Messiah, whose mission is not that of a political liberator, but the Savior who will free humanity from the grip of Satan and sin and inaugurate the kingdom of righteousness. It's not enough simply knowing who Jesus was. We need to know him for ourselves. If you claim to know Jesus, what in fact do you know about him? What has your own personal knowledge of Jesus taught you about him and about what he is like? Transfiguration. Let's listen to all three gospel accounts of the Transfiguration. We will begin with Luke's report, 
followed by Matthew's and the Gospel according to Mark. Here is a question to answer. What additional information does Luke provide? And why is it important? Here are the three accounts. Luke, but I tell you of a truth, there be some standing here which shall not taste death till they see the kingdom of God. And it came to pass, about an eight days after these sayings, he took Peter and John and James and went up into a mountain to pray. And as he prayed, the fashion of his countenance was altered, and his raiment was white and glistening. And behold, there talked with him two men, which were Moses and Elias, who appeared in glory and spake of his decease, which he should accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and they that were with him were heavy with sleep, and where they were awake, they saw his glory and the two men that stood with him. And it came to pass, as they departed from him, Peter said unto Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias, not knowing what he said. While he thus spake, there came a cloud and overshadowed him, and they feared as they entered into the cloud. And there came a voice out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear him. And when the voice was passed, Jesus was found alone, and they kept it close, and told no man in those days any of those things which they had seen. Luke chapter 9 verses 27 through 36. The gospel according to Matthew gives us this report. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John his brother, and bringeth them up unto a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them. And his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was as white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. Then answered Peter, and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud, which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and be not afraid. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no man, save Jesus only. And as they came down from the mountain, Jesus charged them, saying, Tell the vision to no man, until the Son of Man be raised again from the dead. Matthew chapter 17, verses 1 through 9. And the gospel according to Mark gives us this report. And after six days, Jesus taketh with him Peter and James and John, and leadeth them up onto a high mountain apart by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his raiment became shining, exceeding white as snow, so as no fuller on earth can white them. And there appeared unto them Elias with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here, and let us make three tabernacles, one for thee, one for Moses, and one for Elias. For he wist not what he to say, for they were sore afraid. 
and there was a cloud that overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved Son. Hear him. And suddenly, when they had looked round about, they saw no man any more, save Jesus only with them. Mark chapter 9, verses 2 through 8. Now, listen to Peter's first-hand account of the incident, and note the truth the apostle establishes from his eyewitness experience. For we have not followed cunningly devised fables, when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. Second Peter chapter 1, verses 16-18 through 18. Let's ask the question again. What additional information does Luke provide? And why is it important? Here's the additional information based upon the New King James Version. Luke begins the narrative with a detail that Matthew and Mark do not mention. Jesus took Peter, John, and James up to the mountain to pray. Jesus set his eyes and mind toward Jerusalem and predicted the path of suffering that lay before him. Jesus wanted to be certain that what he was doing was what God wanted him to do. At such moments, prayer is the only way for finding certainty and assurance. The process of prayer instantly poured out divine glory on the person of Jesus. His face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. Luke chapter 9 verse 29. The transfigured Jesus was in conversation with Moses and Elijah about his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Luke chapter 9, verse 31. The word decease can be understood in two ways. His upcoming death in Jerusalem, although the Greek used here, exodus, is not often used for death. Hence, decease can also mean the great exodus Jesus was about to accomplish in Jerusalem the mighty redemptive exodus that would bring about the deliverance from sin. The conference of the three concluded with a voice of approval from heaven. This is my beloved son. Hear him. Luke chapter 9 verse 35. The transfiguration anoints Jesus with glory, assures his sonship once again, and announces that redemption will cost the son's life. Therefore, the heavenly command to the disciples, listen to him. Without obedience and exclusive loyalty to him, there is no discipleship. Ellen G. White, in the detailed classic, The Desire of Ages, on page 425, wrote that these men, meaning Moses and Elijah, who had been, quote, chosen above every angel around the throne, had come to commune with Jesus concerning the scenes of his suffering and to comfort him with the assurance of the sympathy of heaven. The hope of the world, the salvation of every human being, was the burden of their interview. End quote. Even Jesus himself, who had comforted so many others, sought solace and comfort for himself. What should that tell us about how even the strongest spiritual leaders 
teachers, and guides can at times need solace, encouragement, and help. Do you know someone right now who could use solace, comfort, and encouragement? Let's continue exploring. Quote, Avoid every question in relation to the humanity of Christ, which is liable to be misunderstood. Truth lies close to the track of presumption. In treating upon the humanity of Christ, you need to guard strenuously every assertion, lest your words be taken to mean more than they imply, and thus you lose or dim the clear perceptions of his humanity as combined with divinity. His birth was a miracle of God. Never, in any way, leave the slightest impression upon human minds that a taint of, or inclination to, corruption rested upon Christ, or that he in any way yielded to corruption. He was tempted in all points like as man is tempted, yet he is called that holy thing. It is a mystery that is left unexplained to mortals that Christ could be tempted in all points like as we are, and yet be without sin. The incarnation of Christ has ever been, and will ever remain, a mystery. End quote. You can read those words in the section Ellen G. White Comments in the Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary, Volume 5, pages 1128 and 1129. Here are a few points to ponder. 1. Jesus' human nature, as with his divine nature, is a great truth that for now we will never fully fathom. Ellen G. White wrote, as we heard a few moments ago, quote, The incarnation of Christ has ever been, and will ever remain, a mystery. End quote. 2. Think about what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration. This amazing event in salvation history was about to happen. And what were the chosen disciples who came with him on the mountain doing at first? Sleeping. In what way could this be a metaphor for you, living right before another great event in salvation history, the second coming of Jesus? 3. Jesus said about himself, I am the good shepherd. I am the living water. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the way to the Father. In fact, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to God, the Father, any other way except by me. Why, then, is the idea that Jesus was merely a great man a great prophet or a great spiritual leader logically flawed. Why must you either accept that he is what he said he is, or that he was a lunatic and someone who was greatly deceived about himself? 
Why is there no other option for you in regard to the identity of Jesus? ambassadorgroup.org This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.